It's my privilege, you guys, to uh, preach the last of our extraordinary series. This series has about, been about ordinary people who have extraordinary impact because they serve an extraordinary God. And so we've had supermen and superwomen that we've profiled in the scriptures who, uh, who are just everyday folks who ended up doing amazing things or having an amazing legacy. It's been super fun to do. And as, if you couldn't quite get the message, the idea is that's every one of us. That's each one of you, ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And that equation, it means that extraordinary things can happen. Um, by the way, next two weeks... Uh, is uh, we have guest speakers the next two weeks that you do not want to miss, okay? That's all I'm going to say, that you cannot miss this these next two weeks. You will be so bummed if you hear about the people that are coming to talk uh, next week and the week after. And, um, and then Ben is going to uh, begin our Summer in the Scriptures series the week after that, so in three weeks from now. Every year, we do some version of being in the Word together for the summer. You'll get a reading plan. You'll see stuff on Facebook. You'll be able to access um, that reading plan online, have it um, downloaded to your phone or wherever. And we're going to read through the New Testament together. And for eight weeks, starting three weeks from now, for eight weeks, we're going to preach on eight verses that may change your life. And, uh, but we'll read the New Testament together this summer. Yay, who's in? I love that. So, all right, so, and Ben will kick that off for us in a couple of weeks. But seriously, you do not want to miss next week or the week after because you're not going to ever want us to come back and preach after these next two guest preachers, all right? So um, that's, com that's coming up. But this is, we're, we're finishing up our extraordinary series. And I want to talk about Mary of Bethany. Now, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, uh, I just, there's so much in here and there's so much in the scriptures connected to uh, this text that I want to take us through, that I'm going to do that thing that I do sometimes where I turn on the lights, and uh, we're going to open our Bibles together, and, uh, and we're just going to kind of do some study together and see where it takes us. The bad thing about that is that that means the fluorescents are going to be inflicted upon your retinas at this time. So uh, that's going to happen in three, two, one. Oh, it's brutal, isn't it? It was just such a nice mood in here. Um, I want everybody to grab a Bible. Grab a Bible from the chair in front of you. We're gonna, everybody's going to be on this. If you're in the front row, then you can reach around the back. Maybe there's, there's going to be other ones. Uh, but there's not going to be any scriptures on the screen. And uh, we're going to dig into the text together and see what God has to show us because we believe that he wants to speak when we open his word. So I want you to turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Somebody can give me a page number from the Bibles that are in the uh, seats in front of you. Thank you. 916. Yeah, I was from that area code. That was a, that was a good place, in case you wanted that. So um, page 916, Matthew 26. We're going to read the story of Mary of Bethany, who in Matthew 26 is not named Mary of Bethany, but the parallel passage about her in John chapter 12, which we're going to go to in a minute, names her. So the first part of this is about a woman, but she's not yet named. Later on, John was written, the book of John was written a little bit later than the book of Matthew, quite a bit later, actually. And... Uh, by then, everybody had been telling the story, and Mary is now in the uh, story as Mary of Bethany. So we're going to read about her. So I'm going to read through the text, and then we're going to come back and uh, walk through, ask some questions about it, and then I'm going to point out two things that I don't want you to miss before we go home, and I'll do that at the very end. Okay? Is that a deal? Everybody got it? 916, page 916. It's Matthew 26, starting in verse 6. Got it? Verse 6 is the next page. Sorry. Matthew 26, 6. I thought you were going to start reading it out loud for me, Jerry. I'm like, no, no, I got it, buddy. Thank you. All right. All right. 
While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That is extraordinary, which is why I wanted to take you to this text today. That this story ends with every time the good news about Jesus is told, we got to tell the story of this woman. Isn't that a crazy legacy? Can you imagine what legacy are you going to leave that people go, listen, every time we talk about blank, we got to talk about Allie. Like it's that important. And this woman become, becomes, in a sense, I was about to call her the poster child. I hope that's not demeaning. But, you know, like the emblem of the gospel, apparently, is this woman. And we're going to go and explore what this is all about and why. I want you to read the parallel passage with me so that you can see sort of some of the details. That's in uh, John chapter 12. So turn over there and somebody get me a, a page number of that in the church. I can't hear you loud. 991. Is that right? Thank you. Jenny, 991, John 12, the beginning of John 12. I'll wait for a minute while everybody gets there. Okay, got it? John 12, this is a parallel passage. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This is a little side note there, a little, little story. Jesus raised him from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of, perfume, of the perfume. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, now we're finding out that it wasn't just some among them said this, it was Judas who said it. Was, who was later to betray him, objective. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, this is the word of the Lord. These two parallel passages. There's also a parallel passage in Mark. There's a similar passage about another woman who anointed Jesus in Luke 7. That's not the same situation, different house, different town, different time. But these uh, are parallel, these two. So we find out from John that this is Mary who anointed Jesus back in our text in Matthew 26. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your finger in, in chapter 12 of John, but go back to Matthew 26, and I want to walk through it and ask a couple questions and have us just sort of get oriented to who's who. Part of this, friends, is that we're going to study the word together here. Part of it is that I'm demonstrating for you how fun it is, aren't we having fun, to dig into the word and to ask questions and to tie it all together and to jump all over. And if at the end we have any time to make any points, that would be great. But um, otherwise, we're just going to let the, continue to let the word speak for itself. So back at Matthew 26, I want to introduce some of the concepts in here. So Matthew 6, 26, 6, while Jesus was in Bethany, he was at somebody's house named what? Just testing to make sure you're back in the text. Okay. Simon. 
Simon the leper. He's in Beth, she's in Bethany. Now, do you, anybody here named Bethany, by the way? Bethany's a beautiful name. Any Bethany's in the room? Any middle name Bethany's? Anybody name your kid Bethany who's not here? Okay, good. Then I won't hurt anybody's feelings because Bethany, people, Bethany's a beautiful name and people name their kid Bethany because the rumor is in the baby books that it means a house of song, which is beautiful. It just doesn't mean that. It means house of figs. <laughs> and probably it actually means even more so, these are just, they're trying to figure out the, what it, where it came from. It means house of affliction. So you named your daughter House of Affliction. So uh, it means House of Affliction. Bethany is a town that's not too far away from Jerusalem, just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And what they think is the case is that Bethany was established as a way for uh, all those that were sick and dying and struggling and poor because of it to be outside of the view of the temple, the holy place, and to be out on the outskirts of town. They marginalized the sick. And this is where people went and... uh, um, to be cared for, essentially. And there were some um, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, compassionate groups, religious groups that would care for these people out there. But Bethany was a place that sick people would go. Thus, you see the people in the story, right? Whose house were they at? Simon the leper, right? And who else was there? Mary, Martha, and Martha's brother, what was his name? Lazarus. What do you know about Lazarus? He had been very, very sick. So this is probably what's happening. Is this, doesn't it, by the way, doesn't it make some sense that if there's a town just outside of Jerusalem, just outside everybody's view, just outside of everybody's comfort zone where all the sick and the dying go, doesn't it make sense that Jesus would go hang out there and make friends and, and, and experience, and so they could experience his love and grace and healing power? Doesn't that not just speak of the Lord that we love? So these guys are all there. So Mary is this woman we find out from John 12. So they're in Bethany. They're at a leper's house. Mary is there. Um, and, uh, and she's with her brother Mar- uh, and her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. You've got your finger in John 12. Turn to John 11. I just want to point out the story that's there. John 11 is another. I want, to, I want, to, I want you just to kind of introduce you to who we're talking about here. John 11, uh, do you see John 11, 1? What's the, the little subheading over John uh, 11, 1? It's the death of Lazarus. So this is the story that is referred to in this text, you know, in, in, uh, in the John 12 text that we read here. A dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Just must have been a wild idea to have dinner with a guy who had been dead, Right? like the guy that Jesus had healed. In fact, if you went on to read in John 12, I know you're looking at John 11 right now. If you went on to read in John 12, the people, the religious leaders were so frustrated because everybody knew the story of Lazarus and they were all following and people were going to Jesus and they tried to actually kill Lazarus, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, right? Because probably he wouldn't stay dead if Jesus was his friend, apparently. They tried to kill Lazarus because it was so difficult for them with, the, with all this attention that Jesus was getting because he raised Lazarus from the dead. Anyway, so chapter 11 is where we see a, a different time that Jesus hung out with those guys. You may know that story. It's a pretty cool story that, that Lazarus was sick. It says the text says he was sick almost to the point of death. It means, it means he was dying. And so the sister said, you love this guy. You'll come. Martha and Mary, who's in this story. This is Mary who anointed him. 
The sisters, they said, Jesus, will you come? Because we know you love Lazarus. Will you come and heal him? You have the power to heal. We've seen you heal. Will you come and heal our brother because he's dying? And Jesus said, of course, because I love you. I'll do that. And then remember the story? He waited where he was three more days, just long enough for Lazarus to die. And it threw Martha and Mary into this crazy crisis of faith, as it would any of us who said, wait, wait, wait. you said you love this. You, you, we knew you would come. We knew you would take care of our brother and come bring healing, but you paused long enough for the worst thing to happen. And we got nowhere to put that in our faith. Come on, this could be a whole, like we just, this could be the message that some of you need to hear today, right? But what they said in that thing was, I don't know what to do with it when my only hope is in you, Jesus, and when you've chosen not to show up in the way that I think you need to show up, which is to come and heal. I'm in crisis. I need you, and you're nowhere to be found. In fact, then it gets worse because you don't show up. Sent them into a crisis of faith. When Jesus finally did show up, he said to them, do you believe that I'm the life, the resurrection? Do you remember that I told you that if you hung with me, you would see the glory of God, even though it looks like death has had its victory, even though it looks like I didn't show up, I've come to tell you, remember that I've told you before that if you hang with me, you will see the glory of God. This is all in John chapter 11. And and then, of course, the end of the story is, he says, go check it out. Bring him out. He's alive. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. They've had an incredible counter with Jesus, this family. I would say they're Jesus's uh, really the big fans at this point, is what I would say. And so these are the people that are involved in this. There's another story about Mary and Martha. Had you already thought of it, some of you? Want to look at it? Let's look at it. Luke chapter 10. Keep your finger there. Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Somebody give me a page number. 950. Seven. Luke 10, at the end of the chapter, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38. Okay, everybody there? As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You're so familiar with this text. The reason you're familiar with this text is that there's two kinds of people in the world, people who relate to Martha in this story and people who relate to Mary in this story. And we tend to villainize Martha. You tend to hear sermons, they villainize Martha. I'm going to tell you what, the Marthas of the world, those of us who understand what needs to be done and have the strength and the strategy to get it done, make the world go round. (laughs) Did I say that too strong? Did Did that just leak out of me? She's a strategist. Listen, she's not to be villainized in this story. The truth of the matter is, you know, you know about Middle Eastern hospitality. You've heard it, seen it in movies. She had them in her home. She was to provide in a, a, an experience befitting the dignity and the honor of somebody like Jesus, a, a rabbi like this who had been um, proclaimed as, you know, the healer. And I mean, she was doing the right thing to offer him her service. But at that time, Mary could not see her way clear to do that. So we're learning about their personalities. 
And they must have been already maybe had encounters with Jesus. Maybe they were already good friends with Jesus because we see her uh, talking to her guest, Jesus, about it. She's like, dude, you know my sister. Listen, can you see what's happening right here? Tell her, you're the Lord, you tell her. Tell her she needs to help me. And look what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered. Not Marsha, Marsha, that's Brady Bunch. It's a different text altogether. (laughs) Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen it. She's chosen what's better, and it won't be taken from her. In this time and in this moment, Martha, Martha, I know that you're trying to do all that needs to be done, but when Jesus is present, that's the one thing. And Jesus is communicating that Mary was this person who got it, who made the choice that when Jesus was present, she was going to be near him. When Jesus was present, she was going to listen to his teaching. When Jesus was present, she was going to be at his feet in reverence and awe and in worship. This is who Mary was. So that's what we know about Mary and Martha, and that's who's in this text and Lazarus. Now, back to Matthew 26, verse 6. So Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar. This is Mary. Came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. She came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. This perfume was... uh, The John text says that it was a pint and it was worth a year's wages. Can you imagine the value of this thing? And she pours it on Jesus' feet. Did you notice that? I mean, on Jesus' head. In John, where did she pour the alabaster jar, by the way? On his feet. So Matthew says she poured it on his head. John says she poured it on his feet. So Matthew is a liar or John's a liar or the Bible's not true. Those are our three options. Oh, there's a fourth? There's a fourth option? What's the fourth option? Both. Oh, okay. So apparently she anointed him all over. In fact, somebody would take, this is what the alabaster jar looks like. Somebody would take this uh, alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, and would snip off the opening. and would be like opening a great bottle of wine. Like, it's open, it's open. Like, that's it. And the fragrance would fill the house. And somebody wouldn't open this pint of expensive uh, perfume until they were going to like distribute it at the wedding feast or whatever to all the guests or whatever. And she poured it all on Jesus, the text says. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. She also poured it on his feet and she wiped her hair. John 12 says she wiped his feet with her hair. Um, when we think about them reclining at the table, it's always hard to get our head around it because we see like the Da Vinci picture of the Last Supper. Have you seen, you know, this picture right here, right? Those are all, that's a medieval table. They didn't do that back at the time. So that's kind of what we think about. We think that people went like this and sat at big tall tables. It's just how they always look. I don't understand if it's medieval art. But this is a better picture. Look at this. This is probably what it looked like. It was just a big plank of wood and it was just a couple inches off the ground and they all laid around it. They laid on these mats and the host put these mats out and people laid there. They put themselves on one arm and they ate with the other hand. Isn't that a cool picture? This is probably the most accurate picture of what it looked like when they had the Last Supper or when these, like this situation where uh, Mary was there. So can you picture her going up into this, into this environment and anointing his head, like sneaking in, anointing his head and anointing his feet? Why did she anoint? If you Google, why did people anoint in Middle Eastern culture? There's all kinds of reasons. Of course, there's some second subtext. You anoint the Messiah. That's what Messiah means, anointed one. 
the Savior. You, you anoint a king, a prophet, a priest for their office that they're in, but you also anoint people as an, effect, an affection, as an offering, as a, as, a, as a sign of respect, as a perfuming, because they've spent the whole day out and, and their body odor is pretty, pretty at its highest peak. So there's a, you just do that as a, uh, especially a distinguished guest, you would open up a nice perfume and you would anoint them their feet or their head, okay? And so she did this while he was reclined at the table. Now, verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. In fact, John 12 says it wasn't just the disciples uh, who, everybody was indignant, but Judas said it. Why the waste? This this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. This is what they were thinking or saying to themselves. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, because Jesus is always aware of what you think or what you say to yourself. It's a word to the wise. Sufficient. Jesus is always aware. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Why would he say that? Because surrounding them in Bethany was a whole colony of poor folks who needed the mercy of Jesus. The Mark text, Jesus actually, it says, he said a little bit longer, he said, the poor you're always going to have with you, and you'll get to and need to go and minister to them whenever you want. Like, that's part of your ministry for sure. But right now, this is a high point in redemptive history. And so you're not going to always have me. And she poured this, when, no, when, verse 12, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, whatever this, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. In other words, she's going to be talked about as extraordinary. Now, two questions for you. One, why did she pour perfume on him? What's it say in the text? Why did she pour perfume on him? To prepare him for burial. Okay. It says it right there. Jesus said it. When she did it, she did it to prepare me for burial. We're going to come into what that means in just a second. But that's the point of why she anointed him. Jesus said she's preparing me for burial. As an act, they prepared bodies for burial in the same way that the guest would be honored. There maybe have been some embalming anointing function that happened back then, but they really didn't do much embalming. It was really just about a gift of affection and a right of respect to anoint the body with perfume, even to just keep the smell at bay for a short time. But anyway, Jesus is saying, she prepared me for burial. We're going to talk about Jesus's death is what's going on there. She was foreshadowing, highlighting that Jesus was going to die. Get it? First big question, why did she anoint him? because she was highlighting that Jesus was going to die. This should not have been a surprise to the disciples. If we had time, we would go back. John uh, I mean, Luke 16, Luke 17, Luke 20. Three times Jesus said to his disciples, listen, here's the deal. One time it was about when he was saying, who do, you, who do people say I am? They're like, oh, maybe John the Baptist, come back from the dead, blah, blah, blah. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ. Yes. And then he said, and... The chief priests and teachers of the law are going to take me to court and they're going to put me on the cross and they're going to kill me and I will be raised to life in three days. And then he says it again in the next chapter and then he says it again three chapters later and now we hear in chapter 26 and she says, Jesus is going to die. We're focusing on that reality. Now what the significance of that is, I'm going to get to in just a minute. So that's question one. Why did she anoint Jesus? Because she was highlighting that he was going to die. Second question, why in the world would what she did be told 
for the rest of history every time the gospel is preached. I mean, that's what's saying here. The text says that she, what she has done, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the good news of Jesus is told, we're going to have to tell the story of this woman. We're going to have to say, look, at this is what this story is about. I got to tell you about this woman. If I tell you about Jesus, I got to tell you about what this woman did. There's so many stories in the Bible. There's so many hit miracles in the Bible. There's so many incredible people in the Bible. Why would this woman's story be told when we tell the good news of Jesus? Anybody have a guess? What are your answers? Jesus said it. So there's going to be a fulfilling prophecy. By the way, it did fulfill itself to be true because John told the story now several years later. The church has passed down the scriptures and we've all been reading that story. And by the way, I'm bringing it to you right now. So yes, that is true. Jesus said it's going to be told. But why do you think Jesus wanted that story told like that? Because apparently her story demonstrates, helps us understand the whole picture of what Jesus did. Her story helps us understand the entire picture of what Jesus did, what the good news is and how we respond to it. It's like Jesus was saying, listen, when you tell the good news to the world, they won't get it until you tell this story. You have to tell this story of this woman and what she has done. And you're like, why though? I still don't get why. Well, let's parse it a little bit and see. I've got two little points I want to make to you before we finish. And I'll, I'll relieve you of those poor fluorescents uh, as, we, as we finish up here. Why is it that Jesus would want to tell this story? I think it's this. It's because Mary was an extraordinary example of exalting Jesus as the Savior of the world. She was an extraordinary example of exalting Jesus as the Savior of the world. See, Jesus is the Savior. That's the point of this good news, is that Jesus is the Savior. And so in the text, it says, well, when, 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 when uh, the story is told, when the good news is told, then, uh, then her story is going to have to be told because she's saying he's going to die. His death is what this is all about. This good news is all about his death. And his friends, it's not just his death, right? It's not just his death. It's his everything that he did. His death, his burial, Jesus said she did this to prepare me for burial, is a euphemism for she's acknowledging and exalting that I came to go to the cross to experience separation from my father for the sin of the whole world, to experience the weight of sin on me for the sake of the forgiveness of that sin for the whole world and to be resurrected to life so that I could defeat death and sin. Like this is what Jesus came to do and Mary's anointing was preparing him for that journey. She's proclaiming his death and what he did on the cross and the resurrection that followed it is the whole point. It's the whole point of the story. It's like Jesus is saying she gets it. This is the pinnacle of the redemptive history. Salvation has come. Nothing in life compares to it. And Mary is understanding that and saying, this death thing, this is what this whole story is about. Friends, it's the meaning of life that Jesus would go to the cross for us, for the whole world, and accomplish this forgiveness of sin. It is central to all of life. It's central to everything that we do. And all the people that have been following Jesus, and by the way, in those stories of uh, those three 
instances where Jesus said, oh yeah, and then I'm going to be put to death and then I'm going to be raised to life in three days. Every time that happened, the disciples either didn't get it or were all upset about that. Like they couldn't conceive. They thought there was something else. They, listen, they had rewritten who Jesus was going to be in their own expectations and in their own confusion. But who Jesus was going to be was going to be the savior of the world by going to the cross and raising from the dead. That's what Jesus was going to be. And so Jesus said, let's get it clear. I'm not your political Messiah. I'm not going to take down the Roman army. I'm not going to be your genie in a bottle. I am going to go to the cross and provide forgiveness of sin for the entire world. That's what I do. I'm going to be the Savior. And Mary was this extraordinary example of exalting Jesus as the Savior. It's all about Christ as our saving Lord. And if Jesus is exalted as the savior of the world, then our only response to that is to receive him as the Lord of our lives. This is why we tell this story. You guys, you want to know about Jesus? He went to the cross to defeat sin and death, to forgive us of all of our sins, and now let's give our lives to him as the Lord. That's the message here the Apostle Paul concurs. There's a, a, a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that I want you to see. Paul, in talking about his message to the Corinthians, he says, for what we preach is not ourselves. We're not preaching our experience. We're not preaching five steps to a happier marriage, four steps to getting out of my bad habits, 10 steps to changing the uh, political world. We're not preaching anything about ourselves. But what are we preaching? Say it with me. Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the message. We're preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. And we were servants of you for Jesus' sake. We're servants of you. That's what lordship looks like, friends. If Jesus Christ is exalted as the savior of the world, then what our response to that is, is to say, then we will now serve the world as your servants, Jesus. I'm your person. I'm your man. I'm your woman. You are my Lord. And this is why Mary is exalted, because we understand that Jesus is the Lord and we submit ourselves to that lordship. Peter uh, got that as well. But that was Paul that I just quoted. Peter got it. I don't have the scripture there, but 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Now in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Live as though Jesus is in control of your life because he's been your savior. He's the savior of the world. So now give yourself to him. Peter, Paul concurs, Peter concurs, and friends, that's MCC, we do too. It's what we preach. We don't ask you to come here and be nice people. We don't ask you to come here and kind of clean up morally. We don't ask you to come here and kind of sing songs or walk the walk or identify with some sort of a religious group. We come here and we preach that Jesus is the savior of the world and we ask you to surrender your lives to him then, then as your Lord. That's what we preach here. And some of you were like, I'm brand new. I just heard there was good music. Ah. I know. But we just got, Jesus said, listen, when you tell the story of what I've done, illustrate it with this woman, Mary of Bethany. She gets it that my death on the cross is the whole point. And now submit your life to me. That's what we preach. This is it. This is the one thing that Jesus is our Lord. This is it. I think of the passage, the other passage that Paul, that Paul writes in, to the Philippian church. He says, therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I cannot speak for the whole world, friends, and I cannot speak for every one of you in this room, but I ask that you, but what I can do, and I, I want you to imitate me in this, is to ask very deeply for me, does my knee bow before the name that is above all other names? This is the point. Jesus is the savior of the world. And now will I bow before him and will my tongue confess that he is my Lord? That's the thing. Mary reminds us of that. Her extraordinary legacy is to call you sitting in this chair today at Marin Covenant to that question, is Jesus my Lord and have I submitted my life to his lordship? Well, we're out of time, but I want to do the last one and that's the second thing is that not only will that, this is what she's done that will be told in memory of her. The second part is that she's also an extraordinary example of worship and devotion and gratitude. You see, she's exalted Jesus as the savior of the world. Like, is death? That's the thing. And then she responds with this extraordinary worship, devotion, and gratitude. Man, when you look at that text, it is all over there. She's this amazing example of giving herself with all her heart to this reality of Jesus being her savior. You see it in her story. She was so overwhelmed in gratitude, friends, because she had seen Jesus work. She had seen Jesus work. She had seen Jesus work. How incredible that she had her brother who had been raised from the dead, right? That was her big example. So every day her brother was in her life who was like, I cannot believe what God has done in my life. She's seen it. Whose house were they at again? Simon. What was Simon? Simon the leper. Simon the former leper, because they couldn't be eating at Simon's house. They would have been breaking Mosaic law because he had leprosy. You can't eat with somebody with leprosy. And so this is Simon the former leper. So their friend Simon had been healed of leprosy and Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So they're having a, let's celebrate the crazy, unbelievable things that God can do dinner. And let's put all those people around the table so that we don't forget it. She had seen God do amazing things in her time, had been disappointed with God and his timing, but had hung with him so that she could see his glory come through. And so she had this intimate relationship with God that allowed her to recount her gratitude over and over and over again. She was in with all her heart, you guys. And then look at her expression of devotion and worship when she snapped off the neck of that alabaster jar and poured out a year's worth of wages. Now you picture for a moment, you think about what your annual salary is. And you think about taking that and buying one meal, one bottle of wine, one jug of perfume and pouring it out on someone and it would last for that one hour. That is a... That is a her devotion and her worship was extravagant. Some of us measure out our worship and our devotion to the Lord. We toss him a bone when he's the savior of the world. And people looked at her and said, you shouldn't, you should be living like this and you shouldn't be, that's crazy. You, that's, you're out of control. Why are you so fanatical about this thing with Jesus? And Jesus, friends, when people didn't get it, Jesus said, she's done something beautiful to me. My friends, we can't portion out our hearts to Jesus when he's the savior of the world. The story's told because 
she was all in, extravagantly in worship and devotion, and that's a call to us. And, and don't even go to intimacy. Think about intimacy. And she got down at his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. There's another story in Luke 7 of a woman who did a very similar thing only because of all that she had been forgiven. She wept at his feet and wiped his feet with her tears and her hair. Apparently, this is a thing that when we've encountered the glory and the grace and the majesty of the Savior of the world, we're all in, abandoned, wholehearted. And I just need to ask you, from Mary of Bethany's example, will you be a worshiper filled with gratitude and devotion that most people don't get, but that Jesus finds beautiful because he has been your savior. Friends, this is what we preach. This is what it's all about. And this is what we celebrate every Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the relationship that we have with him. Let's re-encounter the Lord. Let's bless him with our words of worship. Let's respond as Mary would probably want us to have responded, exalting Jesus as the Savior, and then saying, and I'm all in with my devotion and my worship.